catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. Hello there, Internet Wanderers! Welcome to another episode of Real Psych. I am Dr. J.D. Barton, and I am a licensed clinical psychologist. And I am Dr. Joanna Whitkin, and I'm a cognitive neuroscientist. Real Psych is your favorite podcast where we share our gorgeously thoughtful opinions on the psychological phenomena playing out in all of your favorite movies. JD, will there be learning? (laughs) Yeah! Will there be science? Yeah! Will there be delightfully informal, explorational, informational conceptualizations from two best friends who would be talking about this anyways? Oh, yeah! You really like you started off. I feel like the list. I'm worried about the listeners' ears. The, how you came in I know, real I can hot. Drop. Don't worry. I'm levelating these uh, these these pods now, so it should be. It'll 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 lower the highs and and raise the lows. Okay, that's good because that was screechy. What screech? You can't just call a gay person shrill like that. <laughs> I feel very attacked. <laughs> And you know You're what? Perfect. Your homophobia is documented because I edit this shit. It's true. It's true. And you do call me homophobic a lot. <laughs> <laughs> do I really? I'm sure, I think thing. it's happened a few times. To be fair, I call everyone homophobic a right. lot. I think right. I call you homophobic probably less than like homophobic people. I hope so. <laughs> yeah. I've never but also once... like this is a safe space and you can like be honest with me. Totally. I'm, totally. I'm open to feedback. You know, homophobia is is like racism or transphobia or any of those things. It lives in all of us. I've never yeah. once experienced you to be a consciously or proactively homophobic person. <laughs> okay, that's good. That's never good to once. know. It's a good little check-in. I it's know. a good little check-in, but also it's just a fun butt to any joke. So Yeah. And you know what I love? Fun butts. <laughs> 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 oh, it was too perfect. Uh, uh, hey, you look... So married right now. I know. I am so married. What? I got real married. That's crazy. Yeah. Had a nice had a, little weekend. Had a nice little weekend. And that's a little... What'd you do? Oh, just hopped up, skipped and jumped and got married. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, it was good. I mean, it was 12 people, including us. So it was like very small and intimate, but still felt like a lot to plan. But it was yeah. really good. And... My family, like especially my sisters and my brother-in-law, like did everything. It was yeah. I just, uh, I feel very hashtag blessed. But like genuinely, it's unbelievable. Like my one sister was my hair and makeup person. Was like Gorge. I've never, I've never done this on another person before, and was completely incredible it. at it. Yeah, yeah. And then like took John's camera, who's like he's like a professional photographer. Right, has his camera. And she's done some amateur stuff and, you know, she's taking a, some classes she's an and stuff. Yeah. And he was like, you know, just showed her, showed her how to use it for like five seconds. She did all the photos, was just oh, like, they're, they're so beautiful. They're incredible. And I didn't know she did them. That's amazing. Yeah. Shout out, Steph. I know. And then Katie, Catherine, 
did <laughs> like the whole wedding ceremony, all the design of like all how it looked and set it all up and was like the wedding planner. And then Ben, my brother-in-law, did all of the cooking and like we did a lot of like catering, but he like coordinated all of that. Like he just, it was ridiculous. Yeah. My dad, my dad made me three rings. Uh, like it's the just, circus. It, exactly. But in a nice non-animal abuse way. Uh, no animal <laughs> abuse either. That's amazing. Not typical yeah. for weddings. I know. I know. Actually, I did have um, my dog, <laughs> my dog and my sister's dog, my little dog nephew, who's like the first dog that I ever like lived with because I lived mm-hmm. with them when he was a puppy. Mm-hmm. Um, my sister made these cute little puppy corsages that went on their collars and they were my little processional like both of them so like questionable possibly a little a little abuse but they seem fine that's not Um, abuse that's use yeah (laughs) so that was like my little puppy parade and um was my favorite part i love that yeah it was real cute i love that yeah yay uh, so. For those for those listening, I had a few listeners reach out because I posted things on my Instagram story in Los Angeles, and some people who listened were like, "Why aren't you at Joanna's wedding?" <laughs> I was like, <laughs> "I was like because we're not real friends." We're yeah, fake. because this is all a lie. This um, is all no. a lie. She's just so homophobic that yeah. I like, couldn't stand up. <laughs> I invited everyone except you. Yeah, um, twelve people. <laughs> <laughs> No, so yeah, obviously it was like very small, just immediate family. I do think we'll do a bigger reception thing next year. A party? Year. Yeah. I love that. And you'll be invited to that and, and everybody will know. Yeah. You know I show up for the glow up and mm-hmm. you are glowed up. You are glowing. Absolutely. Shucks. It's all them diamonds on your hand. <laughs> Diamantes. Not bad, yeah. Not bad. Um, all right, well, let's. You want to like do a movie? No, let's keep talking about you. Let's just keep conversation (laughs) going about you. It's your favorite topic. (laughs) So yeah, I say Uh, let's just keep talking about only you. Okay, well, I'll give you a hint. Okay, great. I hope hope that this is not me. Oh, okay. This movie. All right. But uh, it's from 1996. (laughs) It's from 1996. Oh, okay. I stand by Dumb and Dumber. It's like right around that same time. (laughs) Yeah, that is true. Um... It, uh, the tagline, which I feel like might give it away, but it's really good, so I'm just going to do it. Uh, don't get mad, get everything. Oh, it's a divorce. It's a divorce. Oh, is this First Wives Club? Sure is. <gasps> it just celebrated, I guess it's anniversary. I saw it like kind of trending in places, but... I'm um, not ready. Yeah, I am, I am really excited. Star studded. Star studded. Yeah, I'm uh, really excited. One of my favorite uh, movies in one of my favorite genres. That genre being Diane Keaton screams. <laughs> <laughs> this I I've seen this movie probably a couple times, but I haven't seen it in a super long time. Oh, this is annual viewership for me at minimum this is a great similar to princess diaries this is a good sick day movie for me like yeah. i'll just watch this i'll just be like oh it's so good that show that i wanted to watch didn't have a new episode this week i'll just watch first one huh? <laughs> i know yeah it by heart well that's great let's uh figure out what we can 
extract. Oh, so much. There's so much, really. So much. I mean, we're going to really have to hone it. There's three. There's, there's just so many great. Uh, yeah. So Bette Midler, Diane Keaton, um, and Goldie Hawn. Right? And Goldie Hawn. As yeah. the leads. And then we'll, we'll talk more on the other side of everybody who's in this movie. But Incredible. everybody in 1996 is in this movie. Um, what's the matter, Morty? Couldn't afford to buy a whole dress? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Couldn't afford we'll to do buy that a for dress. a few hours. <laughs> yeah. During the synopsis. Oh, Brenda. Yeah. Maybe you can see if they have one in your size. <laughs> God. I love this movie. I love this pick. I'm like... Is this your wedding gift to me? Yeah. Yeah. It's so good. <laughs> I can I'm already excited. hear the listeners clambering to be like, what are they going to talk about? What are they going to talk about? Yeah. Spoiler alert. It's... I bet divorce is going to show up. <laughs> A little bit, probably. we talk about some, uh, some divorce. And maybe we'll talk about how to grow from love. You know, grow from yeah. love. Yeah, grow I like that. Love, I like that angle. Her, uh her nightmare therapist. We'll talk about some therapy ethics as well. Mm-hmm. But there's our there's our outro music. There uh, it is. We're going to see uh, just how married I am on the other side of this break <laughs> and see if we can even out this now lopsided marital podcast. We'll see All you right. in a little bit. Be right back. Bye-bye. Bye. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com amazing to start your springtime adventure. Joe, we're back. Joe, we watched this movie. Joe, I, I mean, this movie is beautiful and amazing and wonderful, and I'm interested I love this movie. to, like, you watch it through a different lens, right? Because we're like re- watching it for the pod, so there's like so much more stuff that comes out. Yeah, I mean, what's so this movie? A of all, you know what I noticed a lot more in this movie that I hadn't noticed, and we'll talk about it in a sec when we do the 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 recap. But feminism, feminism. Yeah. First of all, did you know there's feminism in this? Super movie? subtle. Gloria Steinem has a cameo, <laughs> I know, which I love. I know. No, I love <laughs> no, it. Um, uh, that is true. She actually does yell for, for yeah those at the very um, end. At the very end, no. Um, uh, <laughs> there were two lines. That really stood out. I'm only going to share one of them because the second one is just not, I'm not willing to acknowledge how hard it made me laugh because it was a bad <laughs> joke. But the first joke that made me laugh so hard that I never caught and the dynamic I was I was trying to name was uh, the dynamic between Diane Keaton and her mother. Yeah. <laughs> and her mom funny. has one line that just killed me where she just, they're just cooking in the kitchen and her mom goes, goes I mean, uh, you just have no feel for noodles at all. <laughs> <laughs> Just these like constant digs yeah. from her mother. Yeah, uh, yeah. Sorry. So just as a psychologist, that was the thing that really stood out. It is not what I re- researched for today, but I just was like, oh my god, that's true. Look at this, yeah, it's like such like a a smaller plot point, but like is 
very telling for Diane Keaton's character. Yeah. What was that tweet? I know you and I talked about it a couple of years ago, uh, or maybe even we've talked about it on the pod, but the tweet that was like, I think it was a reductress article maybe that was like, um, overcritical mother doesn't understand why her daughter isn't more confident. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. I'm paraphrasing. But like, it was very it's that. so true. Yeah. Very yeah. that energy. Yeah. Of like, sweetie, if you just had better self-esteem, I imagine boys would like you better. Yeah. Like this kind of thing where you're like, what? Yeah. It's fun. Fun to balance those things. God. I have no personal experience with that, so don't worry about it. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, truly, uh, trust me, mine's all dad-related. But, you know, I hear you. (laughs) We've all got parents. We all have parents. Actually, some of us don't. That's true. Uh, And let's acknowledge and honor that, too. But we all had childhoods. (laughs) That is true. That is true. Uh, Yeah. Okay. Um. Should we recap? Because we, we're going to go in, I think, on yeah. the latter half of this podcast. Yeah. Let's, right. let's synopsitize. And the, quickly, actually, because this one, there's, there's 10,000 plot points. Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot of movie in this movie. Yeah. You know, when you watch it, it just feels like a movie. Feels- like you're really watching a movie. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, uh, trigger warning. Uh, for suicide. Mm-hmm. Uh, the This whole movie starts off with uh, these four women who are best friends graduating from college. Um, By the way, amazing casting. Like, all the young of actresses. Of the young women. I I'm know. like, oh, I knew exactly who they were. I think I was probably four or five times into watching the movie before I was like, oh, they're lip syncing. <laughs> they recorded this audio and these young women are lip syncing. But, like, yeah. their mannerism, uh, it was very good. It was very good. It was very good. Um... Uh, although I felt like the younger Bet looks more like a younger Barbara Streisand. Just my thoughts. Yeah. Um, just my thoughts. Just a little gay, gay opinion. Oh, also speaking of gay opinion, just real fast. Yesterday I also watched Hocus Pocus two, which <gasps> means I watched two movies with Bette Midler and Sarah Jessica Parker. I started it. Uh, another one where like the child actors playing the younger versions, I thought were incredible. Oh, the new one. Yeah, the new one. Oh, yeah. I love them. I loved that. I, I thought it was real cute. Full disclosure, also, I fell asleep like 20 minutes in, but I saw the beginning and it was really good. Oh, so you don't know that the witches are actually aliens. <laughs> right. I missed that part. <laughs> yeah, you missed that part. Um, no, uh, to, just to, to uh, give a little, and we're not going to do a full thing, but Bette Midler is dropped right back into that character Ugh. unbelievably well. Like, un- I mean, Sarah Jessica Parker, well. too. Like. I thought so too. They My friend Brant disagrees, really? but I don't think he listens to the podcast, so we can say whatever we want about him. <laughs> I thought they both did a good job, and I they were so both too. in this movie as like antagonists. Like antagonists. I know, I thought they did great. That was what um, a couple years after Hocus Pocus. Oh, this movie, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yes, uh, great way to bring it back. Yeah, um, yeah. This was just a few years, uh, like three, three, three years. Yeah, because Hocus yeah. Pocus was ninety three, and this yes. was ninety six. Yeah, so three years later. Yeah. Um, playing foes instead of friends. Mm-hmm. Um, so these three women in college, uh, and then it jumps forward in time. Four women in college, thank you. Four women in college jumps forward in time, and you see Stalker Channing. Uh, you get a little, a few clues that Stalker Channing, uh, you know, giving away her her pearls. Um, you know, let, sending her housekeeper home, and then um, uh, you hear that her husband has just remarried. Mm-hmm. Uh, her ex husband. And uh, she, they sort of allude to her suicide. And then um, we jump into the lives of the three women. Mm-hmm. And so we have uh, Diane Keaton, who is like, yeah. 
this, uh, she's like this very kind of timid woman who has this overbearing mother. She also has like her daughter is, you know, trying to toughen her up too. And yeah, you can see that she's struggling in her marriage. Um, yep. With the guy from Seventh Heaven, and I mean, oof. yeah, who is uh, in prison now? I think. I hope so, but um, yeah. So yeah. you know, they they talk about like she's a bit of a doormat. I think the daughter calls her. Yeah, um, she's and so a doormat. You can see that you know she's not very empowered in that relationship, but she's very hopeful right. for their reconciliation. Yeah, and then you see Bette Midler who has. Uh, an almost 13-year-old, like, uh, son, uh-huh. and... Divorced. Divorced. Um, you know, that relationship with her ex-husband is, like, a bit more... Uh, you know, she's, like, mad at him and talks about, like... Acrimonious. Yes. Yeah. Like, his yeah. new his new girlfriend, who is played yeah. by Sarah Jessica Parker. And then you see... Beautifully. Goldie Hawn, who's, like, at her uh, cosmetic surgeon uh wanting more (laughs) collagen in her lips and being a struggling middle-aged actress who's uh also going through a divorce with a a producer who she kind of made his career and now he wants alimony and all of like half of her stuff and she's struggling to get work as she is uh aging yeah as she's there's a there's a great like little monologue that she has, which is feels very relevant to, to our podcast where she says, there's only three ages. There's only three parts for women. Um, and it was like, what is it? Bombshell district attorney and driving miss Daisy. I might be getting the bombshell wrong, but it's like <clears throat> gorgeous. Right. District attorney driving miss Daisy. Um, also uh, a podcast I listen to uh, from time to time called who weekly refers to when somebody has overfilled lips as a morning Muhammad. <laughs> Because she gets her lips overfilled, and then the first line she has is "Morning, Muhammad." She's like trying to buy magazines. Yeah, <laughs> I did not get that at all. Um, right, and yeah. it can sound a little a little scary and yeah, offensive yeah. for a second, and then it's actually not. yeah, that's hilarious. Uh, well, it is offensive to people who I guess overfill their lips, but it, I think it's often like, in, uh, yeah. good humor. Yeah, <laughs> no, but it's like okay to make fun of them. Yeah, I was like don't do that. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, okay, so the three women they they meet again uh, at the funeral, at the funeral mm-hmm. where the uh, horrible ex husband has brought Heather Locklear, his young new wife, to his late wife's funeral. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, cut to they go to lunch. Um, you know what? One of my favorite moments. Oh, there's so many. I'm going to say this a hundred times about this movie. One of my favorite it. moments of this is when they're acknowledging that they're like two. That Bette Midler and Goldie Hawn are both like divorced, divorced, and then they go to Diane Keaton, yeah. and then they're like, "How are you?" And she's like, "Oh, you know, we're we're great actually. We're you know, you know, Aaron's just doing great, and you know, just things are just better than ever. And our daughter, well, she's amazing, and you know, lesbians are great these days. <laughs> and then she goes, and then she goes, and you know, we're sort of uh, we're in counseling. We're kind of like we are we are separated at the time. And she kind of just walks everything she said back. Yeah. And it's such a fun comedic moment to just, and then you watch like Bette and Goldie just kind of like crack up because they're like, oh, she doesn't realize that like her marriage is over. Like she's not aware and they're laughing about it. Right. And it is like really just a fun, it's just really good comedic acting. Like they're all three of them. Their chemistry is so good. I I only wish Stockard Chan. I wish there was like a, a current wives club so that we could have seen Stockard Channing in in I the know. film because she would have been an incredible so good yes fourth member of this of this cast. I mean she is in the cast, but right. you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, and they very 
quickly essentially hatch a plan to get back at their husbands. I'm skipping a little bit. But no, like, but that's, yeah, it's basically like seeing what's happening to, you know, other women that they graduated college with, what happened to Stafford right. Channing, just right. seeing uh, right. this pattern emerge among women their age and getting really mad about it and wanting to regain some control. And so, yeah, they hatched this plan to have this first wives club um, that will basically try to find dirt on the respective ex-husbands to ruin their lives. Like, it's revenge-based. Right. right. And in this case, all four, all three of these men are, even the fourth man, the fourth husband, they sort of stated, he used his wife's connections to get rich. Mm-hmm. And then once he had that, and once he was established, he traded, traded to a younger model, right. essentially. Mm-hmm. And uh, Bette Midler's ex-husband is... Um, is buying all sorts of things for his young girlfriend, but like won't pay the rent. The mm-hmm. on, like what she, and she's a stay-at-home mom, so like won't pay the rent. Goldie Hawn's husband, who she created, he was a nobody when she met him. She taught him how to produce. Is asking for half of everything she owns plus alimony. Right. Um, and uh, Diane Keaton's husband is uh, continuously just like manipulating and abusing her. And we very soon, early, find out in the film he's actually sleeping with her therapist. Yeah. They share a therapist. They've been seeing her jointly and together, played by Marsha Gay Harden. Mm-hmm. Iconic role. Mm-hmm. Uh, grow from love, Annie. Grow <laughs> from love. Um, and, you know, for anybody listening to this podcast who may not know this, it's probably obvious to you, but as a licensed clinical psychologist, let me just tell you, if your therapist sleeps with your ex-husband, A of all, especially if your ex-husband or your current husband that you're separated from, your current husband current, that you are yeah, this is still legally married to, yeah. um, but also somebody who is literally her own patient, mm-hmm. congratulations, you just earned yourself like five to $10 million in restitution because the lawsuit that would, and honestly should, should. come from, should, should absolutely come from this kind of nonsense. I mean, beyond unethical. Uh, beyond unethical. It is truly, and this is like on the ethics ex- exams. Uh, let's say like I have been seeing you as a patient in my practice and we've been working together for five, six, seven months and I discover um, through our conversations that um, I am two months into dating your ex-boyfriend. Mm-hmm. The 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 ethical like the the board of psychology their encouragement isn't that i end treatment with you my responsibility is to you and i in fact must now immediately end this relationship with this person and guess what i can't tell them why because it's a breach of confidentiality but that is how huge the the importance is that i do what i can to preserve your well-being and do no harm to you including transferring you to another therapist because uh, of who I'm dating. Mm-hmm. So this movie is like one of the worst, most egregious examples. She's not only sleeping with her one of her patients, she's sleeping with one of her other patient's husbands. Yeah. And asking him to leave her for this other patient. Oh my God, the lawsuit. Oh my God, I mean, yeah, the they kind of brush over it as like, oh, what a, you know, like... Oh, uh, what a nightmare situation right, for like, you. No, this is actually very, very bad. No, you want the money to yeah. buy him out? Yeah. You want the money to buy him out of his a- advertising agency? You just got it. Yeah, totally. You just got it. She's got books. She wrote a book. 
you got you got you own everything. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I find this this happens a lot in movies where it's like, oh yeah, I'm the therapist, like whatever. Like my husband left me for my therapist. Like never, 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 never. I mean, it does happen. But good news, if it does happen to you, you just you own all of their money. Yeah, you have a lot. <laughs> you now of own the... all of their money. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yes. I mean, it's unbelievable. Anyways, I digress. I just got. Uh, uh, I had to. Had yeah, to you ha- you got it. You gotta speak truth to power. So yeah, they're all their husbands are doing them dirty. Uh, they decide to hatch a plan um, to get back at all of them. So, uh, Bette Midler is going for the that she finds out that her ex has oh, been yeah, dirty she, business. She has uh, mob connections on her father's side of the family. Uncle Carmine. Yeah, he makes yeah. a comment about how. Morty's business in the beginning was really helped a lot by those mob connections. And yeah, everything books, he sold was stolen. Yep. The books reflect that. So they go to steal his books, find out, you know, basically mm-hmm. blackmail him. To blackmail him. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then the, um, what is it? The, the advertising agency. So they, finding out that yeah, the partners want to leave. Yeah. They choose to uh, liquidate Goldie Hawn's assets, sell them to Diane Keaton for a dollar, auction them off, magically also getting Sarah Jessica Parker, idiot young girlfriend, mm-hmm. to buy a lot of them for way more than they're worth oh, at yeah. auction house, yeah. which is a great scene. Yeah. Jackie O had one just like it. <laughs> Maggie, Maggie Smith. Smith. <laughs> Maggie Smith in this movie. Also, um, uh, Balky Bartakamis. What's his name? Pinchot. Bronson Pinchot. Unbelievable. Yeah. Um, and so they try to sell her assets to then give to Diane Keaton. Um, so they're also screwing over Goldie Hawn's husband by selling the assets for $1. Right. So, so he gets like, 50 cents and she's like, you know what? Take it It's all. a real triple whammy. It's oh, like yeah. It's a really... Screwed. Yeah. It's a very well-written movie. It is. It's, it's a very, very well-written movie. Yep. Uh, and so um, they're also at the same time you know, the real gift that they're getting is friendship. (laughs) (laughs) Indeed. Indeed. So uh, in this, uh, they come to a head where they have one big fight. Um, Goldie Hawn isn't really getting to like really nail him down other than to take the money from him. And she definitely has some like coping skills issues and she's drinking a lot. She's drinking a lot. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, she's drinking a lot. She also has, I mean, some really great points about um, about in the first in the scene where they're all at lunch. Actually, they ask like, "Why are you doing all of this? Isn't this horrible? Like, you, you know, you don't have to do all of this." And she's like, "Are you kidding?" And she really like explains all the pressure that is on her as a woman to look good for everyone, right? Uh, and how it's not just that she is shallow. It's not just that she cares about beauty. It's that the world cares about her beauty, which Goldie Hawn delivering that line is also like, I think particularly powerful given her history as an actor. Um, but anyways, she's been drinking a lot. Uh, I had guests (laughs) who guns and roses. (laughs) Um, you don't have any feelings. I'm an actress. I have all of them. <laughs> but yeah, there's a big fight. Bette Midler is, fight. is calling her out for her drinking and um, they want Annie to choose sides and yeah. she can't because she's very like trying to be a mediator. Please everybody. Please she's everybody. always trying to please everybody. Yeah. And so they kind of get into a huge fight and you think that the first wives club is over. But while Annie is crying 
and sad, uh, the other two come together. And if they can make amends, then they come back for, for Annie. Goldie Hawn has another great line where she goes, oh, I've never been to your apartment. It's so real. <laughs> <laughs> um, and they, they get Diane Keaton back in. And they get the last piece of the puzzle, mm-hmm. which is uh, a yearbook that shows that uh, Victor Garber... His young girlfriend, played by Elizabeth Berkeley of Saved by the Bell mm-hmm. and uh, and Showgirls fame, is actually sixteen, yeah, and Yikes. not twenty one. So there is some like glossed over like rut row, buddy, bad news. And Elizabeth Berkeley is just seen as this like boop, like yeah. everything's totally fine. Right. Which like, let's just acknowledge that it's not acknowledged. Mm-hmm. It's glossed over and it is like it a is big glossed over. It's definitely the worst like thing of the three men. I feel like at least in the film, at least in, in the real film. life, uh, Diane Keaton's husband is the real scumbag who is in prison for being uh, a scumbag. Um, I did not know that. Oh, Google him. Okay. Oh, dang. it's, it's bad. It's real bad. Um, think what's going on with Elizabeth Berkeley, but worse. Oh God! Oh God! Yeah, it's it's terrible. He's in prison, I believe, Good. or maybe he died. I'm gonna edit this out. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> also, there have definitely been moments in this podcast where I've said something and then I've gone and searched it, and I've been like, "Wait, that's wrong." And I've just edited it out. So if it's in here, it's true. There you go. Um, there you go. You heard uh, it tentatively here first. You heard it. Passively here. <laughs> um, and then uh, they get the three guys together and they sort of, you know, they all are like, oh, man. And they say, you don't have to apologize. You have to pay. And mm-hmm. they essentially get these three men to fund the First Wives Club. Yep. Which becomes like a, a women's center. Yes. Um, that they name after their friend. Yep. Who died. Stalker Channing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's a place for anyone uh, who is who has been left or or abused. Uh, it's it is both a community space, but it's also a place offering therapy, offering resources. Yeah, um, it's, actually, it's a pretty cool idea. Yeah, and I think like taking that very kind of small revenge focus right on their own hurt and turning it into something that's going to benefit a lot of women who are going through similar situations right. is like. It's a nice way to end the movie. Yeah. Sarah Jessica Parker uh, g- gets with Victor Garber. Yeah. Uh, and what well, we assume. Um, Bette Midler gets back with her ex-husband when he realize, realizes that um, she's, uh, that he still, he misses her. And he yeah. essentially admits he's been in a midlife crisis. Yeah. And uh, Morty gets back with Brenda. I am not Brenda. No, Shelly, you're not. <laughs> also, he's uh, that guy is Cher's dad in Clueless. I know. I, um, I that love guy, that. Yeah. Uh, uh, he has so many good lines in so many good movies. Um, and then Goldie Hawn goes on and does this like amazing play on Broadway. Yeah, which is, it gets like, a back big, to like her actual acting roots. Acting and, roots. Yeah. So it's like I, outside of beauty, and she's playing like an aging woman. Mm-hmm. She's playing an aging beauty, and like really plays it. You can tell it like in the you know they, she gets many many curtain calls, etc. Totally. And. Uh, Diane Keaton like is loving being single and uh, is thriving like running this advertising. Yeah, she's agency like professionally she, thriving. Yeah, 
yeah, she's professionally thriving. Of course, uh, Aaron, her ex-husband, has tried to get back with her, and she said, dropped it. Yeah. Um, and then they have this cute little thing at the end where they sing, you don't own me, you don't own me. Yeah, I've been seeing that on TikTok. <clears throat> it's so good. Yeah, it is so good. It's so good. Uh, and that's the movie. That's it. I love this movie. It's so good. It's so good. So... I'm. <laughs> My, the other line I say all the time for the movie is uh, when Elizabeth Berkley's thinking about what she wants for her character. And she says, I'm thinking streaks just around my face. <laughs> say it all the time. I, I feel like I hated her, you know, like I, just like you hate Sarah Jessica Parker's like character, too. And then when you find out she's 16, you're like, oh, she's like a literal child. Like, how can you? I mean, the and we sort of glossed over, like, yes, she is, she's 16 and she's sleeping with a much older man. It does feel a little bit like she's gaming him, mm. which again, it is wrong. And like, it is like a 16-year-old cannot assault, cannot consent to having, cannot assault, cannot <laughs> consent to having sex with an older, with like an adult. It is assault. However, she seems to be very specifically being like, and you are going to give me what I want for this? Thank you very much. Yeah, like, like a child. Real, like, I don't know. Like a child. Yeah. Like a child. Like an over-sexualized child. Right, right. Like, there are some aspects of her that, like, I'm like, oh, yeah, that makes sense that she's 16. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. She's a dumb... Oh, also, Timothy Oliphant has, like, a really oh my quick gosh, little yeah, cameo like, as the director. Brett Artunian. He's so young. Elise Elliott crazy. in a Brett Artunian film. Wow. <laughs> um, Amazing. Yeah, yeah everybody's so in this. Everybody's in it, except us. Except us. But now we've made our mark with this podcast. Okay, bye, everyone. <laughs> we got to talk about all the stuff. Let's talk about some research. Because I feel okay. like you you got real fired up. Just I'm so the... fired up. I just did 90% of the talking in that like review because I'm so mad right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really sorry. Don't get mad. Get everything. Don't oh, Ivanka Trump was another one. Ivanka Trump <laughs> She's another is in one. it. Yeah. R.I.P. Ivanka Trump, yeah. uh, who just got buried on one of Trump's golf courses so that he could get a tax credit. Oh, God. The ultimate first wife. Ultimate. Continuing to get screwed over by her ex-husband. <sighs> we're going to talk. Now you'll see why we're so fired up, because we're about to talk about some research let's, about let's divorce and yeah. marriage. You know what I wanted to talk about? I, I guess it's a bit of like level setting or just like the the traditional views of like heterosexual marriage right because these women they were brought up in a very like specific time right this is like second wave feminism the i mean gloria steinem even made a cameo in this movie this is right like they graduated college in 1969 this is like feminine mystique betty for dan like this is how they grew up right and so they are these very intelligent educated women in these marriages who have supported their husbands even yes. if they haven't worked i don't yes they, they don't seem to like have their own kind of i mean elise obviously has had her right, career exactly she's a famous actress exactly but um it's stated really nicely actually by diane keaton's mom where she says something like like you're 45 you're a 48 year old like mother what do you need self-esteem for <laughs> right. like her mom that's sort of like uh gap but a generational yeah, gap between absolutely. the two. It's really nicely illustrated there. Yeah, and so there's... I, I was reading about these kind of traditional, like, models in how, um, like, people have written about marriage, and there's this, uh, this, like, treatise on the family written by Becker in 1981. 
Okay. Uh, I don't know this for a fact, but I'm assuming this is a man, just for obvious reasons. But, <laughs> um, but basically, the the model or the idea is that marital stability is generated through kind of uh, like interdependence of spouses mm-hmm. created uh-huh. by a traditional division of labor. So husbands specialize in labor market activities and wives specialize in home activities. And so mm-hmm. this increases the benefits of marriage and enhances stability. Um, and when wives increase their economic resources through employment, this actually destabilizes the marriage um, and uh, increases the risk of divorce. And so this is like this correlation that has been written about a lot where like, you know, more women work, more wives working is like, you know, also uh, correlated with an increased rate of divorce. Okay. Mm -hmm. And people are trying to make sense of this trend Mm -hmm. over time. Um, Not to mention that like women having more economic resources means they can leave bad marriages. So like, why is divorce the worst outcome? Whatever. Anyways, but basically, just like going from this model, right, of like division of labor and um, how these resources are split up. So, you know, it it's really like this specialization model. So even though it's not uh, someone cook... Uh, and right. colleagues has written a lot about this, but basically, <laughs> cook. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's ironically a one with a career, <laughs> right? It's equitable or like it's equal division of total labor, right? But it's not equal division of unpaid versus paid labor, right? Um, and it's not right. necessarily egalitarian, right? And there's there's an issue here too where we talk about really this paid versus unpaid labor results in uh, a wife's economic dependence on her husband, um, where she has fewer alternatives to the marriage, where an economically stable husband can purchase domestic services, and right. that really makes the marriage unequal in terms of economic resources. So it's even though it's like okay, this labor is split, it's not very equally right advantageous for both of parties. Um, and we see this in this movie where like these women who are divorced are struggling financially or, you know, uh, don't really have fallbacks for because they don't have their own kind of careers. I'm thinking of Diane Keaton and right. Beth Midler specifically. Also just the expectation then of like of childcare, the expectation, you know what I mean? Like it's just different. It is. And, and so something that I thought was interesting was like these people who actually tried to, uh, tease apart these correlations of like, okay, uh-huh. but what's actually going on here? Um, you know, like basically there was one study that looked at policy, um, like, uh, like the policies within different European countries, uh, and the United States and looked at how that related to this, increased risk for divorce. So basically, um, you know, in nations where there was more policy support for childcare and reducing that burden, Mm -hmm. um, it kind of offsets this quote unquote divorce risk. Right. Um, which makes a lot of sense. And so, you know, when you're, you're providing those public services, such as public childcare, 
um, you're now making that unpaid labor a bit right. more equitable between the couple. And so in, you know, societies where that constrain dual earner couples, it mm-hmm. actually enhances marital stability because if you have more money coming into the household, that should actually be beneficial. But if you're doing that at the cost of being able to divide like this un- unpaid labor aspect of things like childcare, right. it can be destabilizing. Um, and yeah. so like the United States, which obviously does not have good policy support for these right. things, the uh, a wife's employment is still significantly uh, related to increased risk of divorce. But in places like Australia, France, Germany, Italy, Netherlands, um, there's no impact. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting because if you you just look at the the kind of public policy support in place, that kind of completely erases this this kind of correlation, right? Which right. I thought was interesting, um, and it also you know speaks to like this other trend that I've talked a lot just with like my own friends about with the division of emotional load or division of this mm-hmm. unpaid labor and how mm-hmm. you know a lot of my friends who are in heterosexual relationships, they are, most of them have careers as right. well, but there's still this expectation that we have to do all of the kind of household yes. and home activities. Yeah. And there's less of a discussion over that division of labor, especially if we've grown up in homes where we had mm-hmm. that traditional division of labor. Yeah. Because like, not to call out my now my husband, which I can mm-hmm. say now. Um, yeah. <laughs> not, to, not to call him out, but like he doesn't know how to iron or like, you know, he doesn't right. know how to do a lot of these domestic tasks. And even though he's very willing to learn and like isn't, you know, some I feel like some guys are like, I don't do that, whatever. Like, but he's just there's been no expectations for him to ever know how to do that. Flat shirts is gay. <laughs> my, my dad, my dad actually made a joke um, to him because he had to like iron his shirt for the wedding, and my uh-huh. dad was like, "Oh, I'll do it. If you're married to like you know one of these Witkin women, like you're gonna have to learn how to because <laughs> they are not gonna do it for you." I mean, just get a fabric steamer. It's yeah, really it's like easy. totally fine. But um, but you know what? Yeah. This is like example. Yes. Like, yes, yes, yes. No, just, it's a great example. Yeah. So it's I just, huge. I just think it's really interesting because there's a huge generational component with this movie as well. Like, I'd love to see an updated version or like a reboot or like I don't know. There's just like a lot of or even like a what did it look like for women in the '60s? Right? Like this yeah. is like I just think looking at the way traditional heterosexual marriages viewed has changed it's, so much with each it's generation. Huge. It's huge. I think it's really like the biggest blind spot in so much of our of our research. Should I talk about some of what I yeah, yeah, yeah. looked at? Okay. So I I uh so I actually y- y'all when I start researching, I always start on like a very broad sort of thing where sometimes I'll literally look up like psychology divorce and just see like what comes up right and what's what's good about this topic is there's actually a lot of research on the you know the mental impact of divorce mm-hmm. um uh, th- through many many decades i try to generally stay within the last 10 to 15 years but um uh you know and so for this i've actually pulled recent papers which is i i have to name 
these are recent, y'all. These are like in in our adulthood. These were all published, Joanna. These aren't even like childhood, right? Yeah. So um, the first one, which it, which actually feels like of a similar sort of tune to what you were sharing, um, is a paper from 2018 um, by Thomas Leopold. Sounds like a man to me. <laughs> um, and it's called Gender Differences and the Consequences of Divorce, uh, a study of multiple outcomes. So in this, um, this used uh, uh, data from a German socioeconomic panel study um, and used panel regression models on a sample of 18,000, give or take, individuals um, that were observed in a marital union. Mm. And 1,200 of whom divorced across this observational period, which was between 1984 and 2015. 1,200 um, of the 18,000? Uh, yes. So it doesn't, I, I, I don't know all the ages of all the people it's in here, but I've, I've got so much research, I didn't do a full like population yeah, yeah, study. Yeah, no, but, that seems like a smaller percentage than I would think. Well, it doesn't say all 18,000 started married. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So there's there's probably single folks. There's mm-hmm. you know uh, different Everybody things. So in there, yeah. um, and we we will talk about uh, percentage of couples that actually get divorced here in a second. Yeah. as well, um, that essentially uh, tried to just look at what was emerging from these analyses. So the first thing they found in this was that men are more vulnerable to short-term consequences of divorce for subjective measures of well-being, but post-divorce adaptation was alleviated. Uh, in all outcomes. So essentially, kind of, I, I'm imagining similar to what you're saying here, men don't know how to do things for themselves. Mm-hmm. So initially, as a, as a, the most traditional path, right, is men go from college to like, you know, roughing it, you know, roommate style yeah, to bachelor then living pad, with, yeah. bachelor pad to living, to then living with a spouse. So then when it comes to these things, like, wait a minute, like, you know, when, when they want to, they've gotten used to nice things. Mm-hmm. And now all of a sudden they're like, wait, why aren't why are my shirts wrinkly? You right, know what I mean. Right. I, I didn't have to wear you know whatever. Second, a medium term view on multiple outcomes showed that uh, more similarity between men and women. Uh, medium term consequences of divorce were similar in terms of the subjective economic well being, mental health, physical health, psychological well being, residential moves, um, home ownership, satisfaction with housework, um, and then the chances of repartnering, uh, social integration, friends, relatives, feelings of loneliness. Now. Where did I say this data came from? Germany. Germany. So Germany is a country with a lot of social support. Yeah. A lot of systems that are there to help people. And the last thing that shows uh, that uh, the the, the, what was most disproportionate is women's loss in household income. Because Mm -hmm. despite Germany being a system with much better sort of social support, et cetera, is that uh, women make less money. So the study still finds, this is 2018, even in a country with great levels of support, study actually found, and the the last sort of line, word for word from their uh, abstract, is these findings suggest that men's disproportionate strain of divorce is transient and women's is chronic. Yeah. Which, it's a real like economic disparity is a huge thing. I think so. That's a really good point too, because I think in the research that I was looking at, they were talking about like, oh, women... Like wives' employment is related to increased risk of divorce, but 
it's really not the employment. It's like the economic resources. And those are not necessarily the same thing. Those are not the same Mm -hmm. thing, right? And so, you know, what I like about this study is it uses a huge, huge, huge population. And it's just sort of looking at these like levels. Mm -hmm. It's essentially just using this like panel analysis to just compare. Yeah. Right. And see sort of a little bit over time. Now, that's 2018. That's Germany. And we're still seeing things are disproportionate. Right. Now, let's go back to 2011. How about that? Okay. Uh, So this is a study uh, by, uh, the author is uh, Bahardi Sharma. This is in 2011 um, uh, on a study, uh, in a a paper called Mental and Emotional Impact of Divorce on Women. Mm -hmm. So essentially this study, uh, and this isn't the one I'm going to spend the majority of the time on, but this study um, wanted to look at the effect of time on, uh, on mental health for women of varying age groups. Okay. So it wanted to look at, uh, which is why it felt, it felt appropriate for this, right? So it looked at women in uh, ages 20 to 30, and then um, women ages 30 to 40, mm-hmm. just to assess the impact of divorce. Um, and it looked at one month post-divorce and one year post-divorce. And this study found that, uh, that the women... Um, divorce women experience better mental health over the passage of time. So they're better a year than they were a month after divorce. Unsurprising, mm-hmm. right? The actual emotional impact of a, it's a breakup, right. right? Like, how are you doing about your breakup a month later? Pretty, you know, face valid. Right. Um, but it also found that younger women experience less emotional and mental strain as compared to older women. Yeah. And these findings have huge implications, I, right? In I, terms of just understanding all of it. Yeah. I, sorry. I found that too. And specifically, like, um, women in mid middle age like tend to have higher rates of loneliness and distress post divorce than yeah. younger divorced women. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I uh, I agree wholeheartedly. I found a lot of that a lot of that same info. Um, the third and the one that I y'all y'all I'm not kidding. I got so mad at this uh, one paper that I could not stop just like literally copying and pasting. When you push you pushed back our recording, right? Because you wanted to like I pushed back our recording <laughs> by 30 minutes. This is a paper from 2019 mm. by an author named uh, Mossad Zineldin. And this is a paper that actually gave a really nice literature review that goes back all the way to some of the earliest studies uh, of divorce in 1858. Oh, wow. Um, and this article is titled something very nice. Titled, um, uh, it's called TCS is to blame. The author is really coining this term, TCS, the impact of divorce on physical and mental health. And TCS to this author, uh, as coined, um, stands for trust, communication, and sensuality. So um, in this... Uh, uh, Y'all, what's interesting about a literature review is it's the easiest place, it's one of the easiest places for bias to really drop in because what you're trying to do in your literature review, and as, you know, Joanna and I have both published papers uh, and, and chapters and different things like that, you want your review to align with the story you're telling. Yeah. So yes, of course you want this to be comprehensive, but you also are selecting things that are already kind of in agreement with what you see. Right, you need to tell um, a story. 
Yes. And so it goes all the way back to William Farr in 1858. Um, a lot of this I will name. I am reading almost word for word just for plagiarism's sake. Uh, I'm naming that I'm doing so because I'm so mad at this author that I want to get their words right and not be accused of uh, paraphrasing. <laughs> um, so in this first study uh, from William Farr, he's saying that the results of the study suggest there's a health advantage to marriage and that marital loss is a significant risk factor for poor health. Okay, we've already started to talk about this, right? Mm-hmm. This is all this is equating to low health is the presence of or is the lack of a marriage, right? right. Is the loss of marriage. This is the data that it's starting with. Um, then it's saying that uh, uh, another author, Mark Men at all, argued that millions of people worldwide experience marital distress, destructive conflict, and divorce every year. And there are solid evidences that marital distress and family fragmentation are associated with a broad spectrum of risks for adults and children, including problems with mental health, individual adjustment, child behavior, physical health, and economic success and stability. That is left alone, right? It is just saying that fragmentation creates these risks. So like divorce means you are unhealthy and you're messing up your children. Correct. Okay. Correct. Um, three decades of research, it continues, uh, evaluate the impact of family structure, um, say this also has an impact on the well-being of children, and that um, children living with their married biological parents consistently have better physical, emotional, and academic well-being. Thus, society should support healthy marriages and discover uh, and discourage married couples from divorcing. I want you to know this article I found from the National Library of Medicine. I, I mean, isn't NIH. There, there's a ton NIH. Of, there's a ton of research that refutes this. There's a ton of research that refutes this. This is the NIH. This means the US government paid for the grants that this that wrote this paper. I'm I am this is why I'm so angry, right? Yeah, because it's a not lot like the evidence. it's not like the opinions, right? You like hear people say dumb shit like this all the time. Right. But the fact that it's right. been supported by the government. If I'm reading this on foxnews.com, right. I'm like, yeah, okay, what else is new? Right. Right. And what's what's so wrong about this, we actually have evidence that says that children of gay parents do better academically than children of straight parents. So what you don't even we have lots of info that yeah. says children of of parents who are divorced and have good relationships mm-hmm. have healthier outcomes for their children. Children who are in tense, emotionally like strained households have worse outcomes. Like this, mar- this is such a pro marriage, yeah, a pro marriage article. This is why I got so, <laughs> so mad. Yeah, I would. Uh, are there any other funding sources? Uh, like I would love to know if there's any. If they like, let me see. disclose any other funding. Sources. Uh, let me see. Financial support is, uh, is you know what? It says there are no conflicts of interest and financial support and sponsorship is is nil. It left it blank, but it's an NIH Ugh. paper. So it's it's leaving it. I think it's just the NIH uh, or like some, some spe- specific. I just NIH feel grant. like there's something fishy about who's oh, supporting this. Of course there this. is. Yeah. Um, also, who reviewed it? But... Uh, Okay, and well, let me. Uh, I'm going to continue. Yeah, a sorry, bit. sorry. Continue. No, no, no. I'm going to continue to rage, and then I think we've got a lot of good dialogue that yeah. we can be having here because not that is not said to cut you off, but just to name like there's some some bigger things here that mm-hmm. are happening. But it continues 
by then. And here, you're going to love this. And this I also really have to uh, specifically just read because we're talking about neurotransmitters. Oh, God. Um, so Glazer et al. invested the neuroendocrine and epinephrine functions and behavior in different couples during their first year of marriage in relation to the marital disillusion or divorce and satisfaction. I already... Like the info for like the knowing what this article has said, I'm like, oh, really? Like you already know yeah, what they're going to say. Yeah. This study found that epinephrine levels of divorce couples are 34% higher than those who remained married. And both epinephrine and norepinephrine are 16% higher at night. Couples who are still married can, uh, uh, had conflict adrenocorticotropic hormone. Uh-huh. ACTH levels, which are twice as high among women whose marriages are troubled 10 years later than women whose marriages are untroubled. Couples, couples whose marriages are troubled at follow-up produce 34% more norepinephrine during conflict, 24% more epinephrine during the daytime, and 17% more during nighttime hours than the untroubled. Okay, I like this data. I like this data. I'm fine with this data. This is stupid. What I don't love is what they're using it to argue. Yeah, it's just like right? happy versus not happy. Yes, they are. Well, and exactly what you named earlier, right? The, the That this is particularly hard on women. Guess what? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, guess what? Of course this is particularly hard on women. Oh, and you're telling me that women who have already built a life that most likely most marriages do produce children, not all, uh, not all not all marriages need to be valid, like don't need children to validate them, but let's just assume these women 10 years later are also managing children. And guess what? When they're, oh, their stress levels are even higher during conflict than in the past, that's called post-traumatic stress. Yeah. That means you have been through some stuff and when some stuff gets thrown at you again, you are way more worried yeah. than you were the initial time. It is harder on you. Yeah. And they're just using this. They are just using this data to be like, this is why divorce is so bad. Stay this with your husbands, ladies. Stay with your husbands, ladies. This is especially hard on women. Yeah. Stay with your husbands. This is from 2019. Yeah. Okay. Here, here it continues. Many studies also show that a higher level of the serotonin transporter gene methylation methylation after parental divorce. So the higher levels of serotonin methylation after parental divorce. So now we're looking at, I believe, children and stressful life events in adolescence where more pronounced association for stressful events during adolescence than during childhood. The aggression increases. So like all these risk factors, right? Guess what? In a household with high levels of aggression, which are also more likely to result in divorce, these children are showing... So, uh, essentially, this this whole article continues. I'm I'm so mad that like, I really I'm this is an NIH article. It's called TCS is to blame: the impact of divorce on physical and mental health. And I, like, I just want to talk to you. Yeah. I don't even want to read this anymore. I just want to talk to you because I'm so mad. I just hate too when like pseudo genetic or by bi- like biological evidence, right? To like it basically confuse you with uh, like complicated sounded biology complicated sounding biology to be like well look at your methylation like nobody knows what the fuck that means you know what i mean nobody knows what methylation is of your serotonin dispersion (laughs) i just read it and i don't even know what it means yeah and like i mean i know what it means based on like the saying no but the same thing with your like acth or like it's like your like and at night versus during the day like all of that stuff there's so many other possible factors that influence those receptors the the release of those hormones that like to try and like can you know be hand wavy with your agenda with like 
biology is very uh it's just it's sketchy it's, and bad it's so sketchy it's the kind of thing that like an ann coulter would say when like ann coulter says children of single mothers which she has said very publicly and in her books like children of single mothers have worse outcomes mm. or whatever and it's like or, or like or when people just say things like uh uh black people do worse on iq tests and act as though that data right means black people have lower iqs right when you're like guess what else is happening in the world the world is happening. Right. The world is also, happening. Also, who to made these the people. IQ test? <laughs> exactly. The IQ test is made for who? Yeah. People, white Scandinavian immigrants in Minnesota. Yeah. Actual fact almost all tests are normed on people in Minnesota. Um, it is, it, it, to me, a, and then it's just saying how important the, you know, when to me, and this is going to sound really over the top, um, but, but hear me out. And I'm saying this to really acknowledge this. When people say the nuclear family is key to American civilization, it is key to our culture, it is key to the foundation of our values, to me is the same thing. It is a tool of oppression, just like when in like the arguments in the antebellum South said, here's the thing, you may say that enslaving people is bad, but if we release all of these people from slavery, it will destroy the economy of the American South right. and it will never recover. Right. And that to me is what you're saying. And again, I am not equating marriage to enslavement by any means, but I do think both of these are tools of oppression where we're saying, oh, but if we change everything, the shit's gonna hit the fan. And it's like, we are talking about systems of oppression. They yeah, need to be changed. This is like, these are like men who are resistant to change and, uh, you know, yeah, they're absolutely tools of oppression. And I think, you know, when you're talking about a nuclear family or whatever, like these, like having, you know, happy parents, whether that's one, whether that's two, I mean, having additional resources is helpful, Huge. right? But Huge. only if you're, if the child is feeling safe, if, if they're like, those additional resources are going towards improving the child's life, right? Like, and, and cultivating right. like, you know, their happiness and success. I feel like having two miserable parents is like not the same thing. It right? is not the same. And if we had a system that supported women, yeah, when or that supported anyone, right, who is struggling financially, economically, where you don't have to worry that, you know, if you, you my sister recently said to me, she can never, she's worried she'll never be able to leave her job or that her son who has, uh, who has a form of uh, muscular dystrophy that he, once he gets a good job with health insurance can never leave that job because he's afraid that he won't be able to get covered again right. because of pre-existing conditions. Right. right. We live in a society where these things are so by a thread mm -hmm. for so many people. And then we're saying that like all of these pressures lay into a marriage, the economic pressure, the social pressure, the expectational pressure to continue to be the primary parent while also being a breadwinner. Like, all of this stuff, we're ignoring that and saying the marriage right. is what's holding things together. When that's not at all the case, what happens is women, people of color, sit and, and hold 
all of this responsibility when straight men, particularly straight white men, are able to sort of float on top and then claim that if someone beneath them says that it's heavy, it's because they're lazy, they're they're angry, right. they're you know right. they're they're picking at problems that don't exist. They're attacking America, right? right? Like they are saying that America right. is. They're attacking freedom right. or like whatever. This like this to me. I did not expect today to get so political, and I'm like furious that we just can't. The, and this is all the data. This is the the history of marriage. We're like, but okay, we're all existing on the assumption that like staying married, obviously the best thing. Right. I, I think it's an, it like highlights too that this has come up a, like quite a few times on the podcast as well. Is like, who are you getting your research from? Where you know who's funding them, or where like what are the perspectives and bias of these authors who are published, peer reviewed, seemingly authors. The NIH. And it's like, you know, you have to be careful about your sources as well, even if you're getting them from academic journals, because if they are, yeah. you know, like there's there's bias everywhere and you have to just be really careful about like what's what is this study actually saying here? What is this data being used for? What is the agenda yeah. here? And I feel like this, I don't know, the research that that you've done and that we've done today like I, I really highlights like that bias and having to be yes. careful like so much well and the thing that that's missing from so much of this as well is not only the question of who are you getting your research from the question of it's really like asking the question how good of a source are you yeah right like what are your biases before you know what i mean like what are you holding and like we've talked about this when we've talked about racism or misogyny or queer phobia or fat phobia mm -hmm. right where it's like guess what Bad news, bad news, friend. Yeah. You've been fed a lot of nonsense and you're holding that nonsense like sense. Right. And and the cultural context in which something is published as well, right? Like talking about yes. these movies, right? Where fat phobia, like homophobia, all of these things are like so much more tolerated. Yeah. I, I mean, that translates to all published works right like yeah. there's so many more like yeah that sounds okay to me like yeah that's fine yeah. to include and so it's like my uh my um one of my uh research professors in my master's program explained it so well i may have even said this on the podcast but was like listen you know ice cream consumption goes way up in the summer which is also when the majority of drownings happen ice cream causes drowning right, right? like yeah. this like these correlational studies are ignoring the heat of the entire world to say that like, oh, these people are eating more ice cream. Right. And more, the more ice cream people have, the more deaths by drowning. Right. You know what? Ice cream probably also causes shark attacks. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like this correlation isn't causation. Uh, exactly. Yeah. And like, it's so important to realize that like, you know, this, the, the you know, this, the studies that are literally like, hey, let's talk about the neurotransmitters going on in people that have been divorced. Rut row. Yeah. They're all over the place. Yeah. Uh-oh, <laughs> they're like, stressed. Oh, they're super stressed. Also, I would just love to see, like, the level... I know it is comparing, like, married to non-married people, etc. But I would just... My, my stress levels, compared to, like, 20, are much higher. I have way more responsibilities. I'm I have way more, I mean, more, there's like, so many life. other, like, factors, age... Yeah, like, you know, number of responsibilities, like type of it's employment, like type of employment. It's so terrible. And like, 
again, the people that as we as we make these sort of like broad sweeping statements or whatever, it's always women and people of color that Mm -hmm. end up holding the bag. Right. Like the more we just talk about, oh, well, for society to like whatever, it's like, no, fuck off. Yeah. Listen to who you're protecting. I feel like if you're um, if you're like abstract or your your takeaway, your thesis is like "Mm, better, you know, like maintain the status quo. It's bad. (laughs) It's bad. It's bad. You didn't do your job as a researcher. You didn't do your job as a researcher. And, you know, one of the things, and we've talked, I think, we either talked about this in our pre-season that we did when we did our 10 secret episodes. (laughs) It will probably never be released because the audio is so bad. But we we talked, uh, one of the researchers at University of Miami where we we met is a man named Brian Doss. And he came to our cohort and gave a great talk. He does research on couples Mm -hmm. and marriage and marital discord. And he gave a, he he provided a great paper once, and I'm paraphrasing and, and didn't find it. Uh, I didn't look, but uh, I don't have it. I don't have the exact statistics, but essentially saying that like uh, uh, one of the things I saw actually was 50 to 70 percent of marriages end in divorce, which is true. However, that is saying 50 to 70 percent of marriages. One person can have multiple marriages. Mm-hmm. And we do have research that shows that the more times you've been married, the more likely you are to be divorced mm-hmm. in the future, mm-hmm. which, again, makes a lot of sense. So it is actually far less than 50% of, of people who get divorced. Yeah. But more, it is 50 to 70% of marriages that end in divorce. You know, and I want to say, like, another thing, too, that divorce is not necessarily a bad outcome right no like let us just name that especially like in this movie divorce was the right outcome maybe Bette Midler and more like because they reconcile whatever but that was the right thing for each of these women the problems were how unsupported they were and how left without resources and support they were and even like you know, you were talking about the greatest gift is friendship, and it's kind of yes, like because we yes. even see with midlife uh, women who are, are getting divorced in in middle age, they have higher rates of loneliness because they've been investing in their children, their you know, yes. their husbands, yeah. and they may not have kept up with friendships or have other types of social support besides overbearing also, the systems mothers. Don't exist to continue introducing adults to each other exactly and i adults don't make friends at the same rate because guess what we're not in school anymore we're not meeting 10 new people every single week yeah that's why adults have less friends you know for wives who are not working they have even less opportunities to meet other people whereas like husbands who are out in the workforce have like work friends or like at least there's more opportunities to like have other people in their lives and so the main thing like divorce was not the bad thing about this Divorce, movie it was how unsupported these women were and them finding friendship and getting resources for themselves and helping each other get resources yes. was the gift like that's like how they have succeeded totally. in this movie and the success they're paying of this film is forward. the female friendships yeah yes the success absolutely yeah and you know i mean it's this it's this thing that we're yeah divorce as as bad is just silly i mean that what the studies are going to look like in 20 years yeah after our generation because let's be real you just got married yeah if you had told your 17 year old self you're getting married in 17 more years you would have been like what the fuck yeah like, you would have been like that's bad right yeah 
and now here you are married you're so happy I right know. like you, things are great yeah it's it is and funny none of it like, looks like what it was supposed to look like it, and that's so many people in our generation totally because you're you're basing your your childhood expectations about what your adult life is like based off of what society looks like at the time like i remember being like i will be in my 20s when i get married and i will be like yeah you know i'll have my first kid at this age blah blah, blah. and it's like none of that made sense None yeah. of that makes sense anymore, you know? Yeah. And it's like, yeah, people our age are, you know, we're, we're getting married later. We're having kids later. We're like getting our own financial security, like set up yes. before all of that. Like I just, you know, yeah, I, it's, but it's completely different from what I thought it would look like as a kid because I had no idea what, you know what I mean? No. I was basing it off I of remember like, telling- yeah. I remember telling my boyfriend at like 27 that we'd been together for like two years at that point. But I was like, if we don't want to get married at 30, like we should probably break up. I mean, good news. We broke up at 29. (laughs) But I was like, I was like, I was like, listen, like that. And he was like, that seems really intense. And I was like, what do you mean? We'll be 30. We should just get married. Yeah, Joanna, you met me at 29. Was I ready to get married? (laughs) (laughs) No. No. And neither was I. No. No. We were like doing stuff. We had stuff we to do. Biz. Yeah, I was still deeply insecure about my life and was trying to fix it through going to as much school as possible <laughs> so that I would have value. I can't relate to that at all. But uh. no, <laughs> no, that's the thing. When people are like, "Oh, I'm sure you get this all the time." When people are like, "Oh, wow, you're a doctor of something. Like, you must be really smart." And it's like, no. Yeah. I just really felt that I needed to prove something. <laughs> And I put so much time and effort yeah. and money. Like, why did I, I? Yeah, I feel dumber than most people because I'm like, I went to school for forever and I'm in a lot of debt just to prove something to I nobody. Mean, to nobody. To nobody. <laughs> to nobody. Literally, that's the lesson that I got. Yeah. was like, oh, good news. Turns out you've been fine this whole time, idiot. Yeah, I've been uh, losing out on earning potential for an extra 10 years for no reason. Oh, my God. Don't even get me started. Anyways. The amount that I wish I was like, hi, I'm licensed clinical social worker, J.D. Barton. You're listening to Real Psych. And I have, I have about $240,000 more in my pocket. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't have it in my pocket. I just wouldn't have it in my in my debt yeah uh, anyways this really took a turn <laughs> we landed in a weird place we landed in a weird place i'm actually really relieved to hear our outro music coming in now because <laughs> dang because dang because dang but you know what this movie it asks the tough questions both of it- its characters and ourselves <laughs> <laughs> there that was a good that was a good Summary is gorgeous. And the and the real the real gift was friendship all along. <laughs> Just like our friendship. Which came out of our struggle exactly. and our oppression through the uh, deeply problematic world that is higher education. Yay. Yay. Anyways. <laughs> thanks for listening. I've been Dr. JD Barton. I have been Dr. Joanna Wicked. Well rate us, review us, tell a friend. Listen to our past episodes. <laughs> yeah. And uh, we'll see you soon. Yeah, we'll see you next, next week. week. Keep it real. Psych. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Bye.